Welcome to the Generous Marriage Podcast. Fight less, feel appreciated, and have a deeper connection with your spouse. And now your hosts, Shachar Erez and Ziv Raviv. Hello and welcome to the Generous Marriage Podcast. Hi, I'm Ziv Raviv. And I'm Shachar Erez. And today we have a special guest, Blake Nee. Ray Blake Nee from, you know, all over the place. You, you bootstrap six and seven figure businesses. You currently live in Mexico, but uh, you've been born in America and have been raised in, in Turkey and, and, and all sorts of other places. And you've been around, you're married, you have a kid. And we really want to know all about your relationship with your spouse and what was the, the situation there. But before we start, just hello. Hi. Hey, guys. So thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. You know, it's quite a big title, uh, bootstrap, a bootstrapper of six to seven figure businesses. Clearly, you're doing something right with businesses because, you know, a lot of people uh, that are listening to this, they didn't do one of these or maybe even both of them. And at the same time, you've been through some some hardships in your marriage. Uh, we'll get to that later, but mm. let's just start about your first success in business, uh, if you can uh, paint the picture for us. Sure. So I'd love to say, when people say, did you plan to be where you're at? Because I started being an entrepreneur about 12 years ago. I, before that, I was a software engineer. And uh, the answer is no, absolutely not. I had no grand 10-year vision. I didn't think, hey, I'm going to do this by this age, nothing like that. The first business that I launched with my wife, so I've lost, launched multiple businesses with my wife. LiveLingua, the biggest one right now, is the most recent business. But the first business I launched with my wife was after I served in something called the Peace Corps, which is a U.S. volunteer organization, where you... I know Shars was in Berkeley. Lots of Peace Corps volunteers come from that part of the, the world. And essentially, you work for almost no salary for two years helping in different parts of the world. The backstory is I gave up almost a six-figure software engineer job to do that. That's what made me way weird. Most people do it straight out of college. It's a thing they do. I was 26 when I did it. I've been working already for five years, and I decided I want to change. At that time, I met my girlfriend, who's now my wife. She was my Spanish teacher in the Peace Corps, so she trained us in Spanish. And we dated for two years. We decided to get married. And we had two options. One, go back to the United States and do fine. I mean, you know, I'd get another programming job. She's a bilingual. She speaks fluent English. She studied in the United States. Bil uh, bilingual teacher, we'd probably be bringing in, you know, six figures easily, maybe multiple six figures. Or we could try starting our own business, which is, you know, because we had no kids at the time. And it's something she always wanted to run a language school. I always kind of had this itch to run a business. But I had no idea what. My skill set wasn't in building a product. It was like I can take it, taking any product and selling it and building it, building around it. So our, we launched our first business, which was a brick and mortar language school in Mexico. So a physical location where people would come from the United States and around the world to Mexico for a week, up to a few months, and they would study Spanish with us. We'd put them with a Mexican family. They'd have the full immersion experience. So that was our first business. That grew pretty quickly into about... Low mid six figures um, within about two years, uh, we were able to grow it up to that size. That's the first business we ran together. Ran together. The anecdotal story is when we started it, we only had two thousand dollars in our bank account to live off of and to start our business. So we couldn't afford our own place. We rented an old historic home in downtown Querétaro, which is the city we built the school in. 
And since we couldn't afford a rental place, we actually bought an inflatable mattress, which we would put in one of the classrooms at night, go to sleep on that. What we didn't know was it had a hole in it. So we would go to sleep on the mattress, wake up on the floor, wake up at six o'clock in the morning, roll it up, throw it under my office desk before the students arrived and put a, put a desk there in our in what was our bedroom two hours before. And that was our first business. That's how we bootstrapped it. We'd take trash out at night. We'd clean. We had no staff. That's how we started everything. Wow. Real bootstrapping. Totally. I mean, it was, yeah. I mean, we did not have enough money to last like three months if, if this didn't work. So. And, and uh, what, was that like a dream of your wife to build a business which you took, took on? Uh, like you joined the, the dream and made it, you know, something that is also yours. What was the, what did you provide to your wife back then, do you think? Mm-hmm. So we were lucky in that our skill sets were very complementary when we started our first business. And we also have very different personalities, which is something we can, you know, dig into later. And Shahar might be able to give us insights onto why some parts of it work and some parts don't. I don't actually know. But I was business and marketing. She was education. And that's what she was missing, right? So she, you know, she knew how to run a school, manage teachers, create material. She had no idea how to get students into it, get them to pay. How do we market it? How do we build a balance sheet? How do we hear all of that kind of stuff? Put up a website. She had no idea how to do any of that. That's what I was able to bring to the table. She had a much more concrete, concrete dream. She's one of those teachers that, you know, since she played with dolls when she was four years old, she was, a te- you know, she was the teacher teaching the dolls. There was never any doubt that she was going to be a teacher when she grew up. I think what, was, what I was able to do to help her out was kind of take that and share her love of teaching with a lot much wider audience than she would have been able to do by herself. I learned online marketing by starting that business. I had no training in it, but I taught myself online marketing um, back in 2008, and we were fully booked the month we opened. Um, wow. Yeah. So intimate relationship is hard. Business relationship can be hard. Mixing the both, of the both of them can be overwhelming. How did you manage? Okay. So I've gotten this question before and I have one answer for it. And I give, again, I give the credit to my wife. The key to making the relationship work for me or for us has been learning how to argue. As an American, I actually had a lot of trouble with it. She's a Latina. It's, they, you know, arguing is a lot easier for them. But in the United States, we're kind of taught to hold our feelings to ourselves, right? If we argue, it's kind of like losing. It's like I lost control. And, but I've learned after years, because I didn't know this in the beginning, that that makes it worse. Because by the time I got to an arguing point, the problem was already so big that it's really hard to solve. You know, it's the whole, I wish... You've been doing this for the last five years. I'm like, why didn't you tell me that five years ago, right? But from, the, from her and, you know, but she gets mad. She got, got mad about every little thing. And in the beginning, that kind of upset me. I'm like, why are you getting mad about everything? But that puts all the little, little things out on the table. We solve them. They're just little things. By the next day, we make up. We're fine. I mean, you know, it wasn't like our relationship is awful. As I left my socks in the wrong place, right? I mean, that's just... And that, I think, has been a key to our relationship and also to our businesses as well. We're much more comfortable arguing because we never let it get to the point where it's this big explosion, right? It's just kind of, oh, we argued, we might be mad at each other for an afternoon, but we, it doesn't mean our relationship's bad, just this thing we disagreed on and we argued about it. Um, so I think that's the key to a good relationship when you're working with your spouse, probably when you're not working either, is learn how to argue well. You say learn how to argue and I say I hear how to express your needs and how to overcome conflict and not be so uh, stressed about the conflict. Like it, it, it takes a lot of trust that you can overcome it. Exactly. I, 
you you phrase it a lot better than I do. You know, for me, I just looked at it. I'm like, you know, we argue, and then but but it never lasts more than a day. I mean, you know, there's never that argument where a week later we're still arguing about the same thing. I can't remember, and we've been married for 12, going on 13 years now. That ever happening, and we've been through very very hard times. Um, so I think it's been key to our communication that one point. Well, hard times. Can you do you want to say something about the hard times? Sure, sure. So there were. On the, we've had two hard times, one on a business level and one on a personal level. And they both unfortunately happened pretty close to each other. The first one was my biggest business on right now is LiveLingua, the online language school. And we lost that business overnight once because we had built the business around search engine optimization. Back then, it wasn't even called LiveLingua. We had 11 websites. We ranked number one in the world for like everything. And then Google changed their algorithm and the businesses disappeared. I mean, because traffic died. So we had to rebuild it from the ground up. And we rebranded it as LiveLingua. Around the same time, my wife and I had been married for about five or six years at that point. We didn't want to have children when we had just gotten married because that would probably would have been way too much stress, right? Because starting a business together with your wife is enough stress. I always tell people there's only two options. You come out with a strong relationship or divorce. There's like no middle road if you start a business with your significant other. And I think a kid might have pushed us a little too far because now that I have a seven-month-old in the other room, it's... Those little guys are a lot of work. I mean, we're super happy about it, but they're a little more work than I anticipated. And then about the same time, we decided, okay, we had just sold our first business. Um, so we had some savings. LiveLingua was in trouble, but like, you know, we have enough money to survive a few years. Let's start trying to start a family. We start, we tried, you know, we tried for about a year and a half, two years, and it wasn't working. So we went and talked to a doctor and we did all the checkups and they were saying, we have no idea why it's not working, right? Um, what ends up being called, I think it's, uh, it's like, unknown infertility or something like that. I'm not, I can't remember exactly the medical term, but it's pretty much like, we have no idea. I mean, everything says this should work. We don't know why you guys aren't able to have kids. So we decided to do in vitro fertilization, IVF. Like everybody who goes into it, it's a little depressing at first, but then you go and read the statistics and you're like, yeah, 80% success rate. You know, by the time you do four, it's like a 95% success rate. Yeah. My wife and I did seven. And so, and every, we lost, we had a miscarriage in one of them as well. and. Those were really, really dark times for us. Um, so we rebuilt the business. So luckily, the business started going pretty well. But, and honestly, our relationship was strong. I mean, I think there were, we, there were some arguments and some fights, but they weren't, real, they weren't really fights. They were just, you know, everybody, as, as Sahar said, um, Shahar said, it was um, venting more than anything else, right? It wasn't like, I'm mad at you, you're mad at me. It's just, we're mad at everything kind of things. And we were yelling and all the rest of it. But yeah, yeah. We, we made it through. Yeah, I don't know if people know, but IVF can be super hard. It's like an emotional ro- roller coaster and so much expectation and then mm. uh, the disappointment when it doesn't catch up. And My respect is, again, it, I'll be honest, it's the, the wives that go through the hard stuff. I mean, come on, the guys were like, yeah, we make the donation and we're done. But, you know, we're talking like injections for like weeks leading up to it bruises because, the, you know, you inject themselves. And my wife had to do it because I have a phobia of needles. I couldn't even help her. I mean, I look at needles, I break out in a sweat, so she had to inject herself. Or, yeah. And then you, you know exactly the day when you're going to know. So you have that the, the two-week wait. There's even a name for it. So, you know, you kind of sit there and every single day you're like, was this it? Was this it? Because, you know, she's feeling everything in her body. But you intellectually know that the hormones are causing a lot of these things too. So it doesn't mean anything, right? Whether you feel something or not, it, it doesn't actually, one, it, you know, it's not causality. It doesn't mean this happened, so this happened, right? It's totally irrelevant. Yeah, so we went through that for years. One of the things that we did to cope 
the reason I, I talk about this and I'm open about it is because a lot of people go through it and this becomes this, people are embarrassed to talk about it, right? A lot of people go through this kind of thing. One of the things that we did to deal with the other devastation of failed IVF attempts is we would give ourselves a silver lining. It's a depressing way to talk about it, but if it didn't work, we would plan a dream trip four months later. We would go for a month and do something amazing. So that was our thing. We would say, we're trying it. If it doesn't work, the worst case scenario is we are going to be camping out in the Sahara Desert four months from now, uh, nice. which we did, which we did. Um, you know, or we're going to Japan for a month if this doesn't work, which nice. we did. You know, so those were kind of our things like, okay, it didn't work, but okay. You know that all those, I mean, we planned it beforehand. So like all those amazing things we planned, we're doing them now because it didn't work. Doesn't wow. take all the pain away, but at least there was kind of this other side. It's not only bad, bad, bad. It's bad, but okay, we're, we have a consolation thing that we've put in place ourselves. So we've done some great trips because we did so many, I mean, we did so many rounds. We did some really amazing trips. I mean, you know, rented a Ferrari, drove around Tuscany for a day. I mean, you know, stuff like that. I mean, there's, we have, I almost got killed by a camel in Morocco. That, that was kind of fun. <laughs> you know, so we, we've done some really, really amazing, you know, we did the Inca Trail after a, one failed event. We accidentally rented a private luxury train through the Andes. That was kind of cool. So that was what happened after each failure. That made it a little bit easier. I'm not going to say you forget about the pain, but it made it a little bit easier and helped us survive as a couple too, because these were like the times we spent together, only together um, while we were on those trips. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. And uh, I, I know personally how hard it is. We actually went through uh, IVF with both of our daughters and uh, those two weeks wait time are a nightmare. And are just impossible to to deal with. And you know, these days people go through uncertainty in their lives just because you know, as we're recording this, you know, the, the the pandemic, the corona pandemic is still uh, very much a, a day to day thing. You know, but waiting and without knowing when can you go back to business, when can you, I don't know, go back to your habits. Uh, maybe your date nights are not uh, as, as, as easy as, as, as they used to be or whatnot, but waiting for an answer about your own uh, flesh and blood, your own body, your own family, and that's just very, very hard. And, and I am so happy for you. What's, what's your uh, kid's uh, language is going to be? Is he, is he dual-lingual? Oh, well, he's going to speak fluent English and Spanish given, right? Yeah, um, yeah. That's what we speak at home. But our plan is actually in about two years, assuming we can fly again by then, is we want to move to Southeast Asia um, for and raise the child there because we'd like to, to grow up trilingual. So we're looking, we're going to look at some countries over there and see if we can get a third language in there. Because these days, being bilingual is kind of like minimum, right? I mean, it's like, yeah, everybody speaks two languages, three, you need at least three to set yourself apart from the crowd. So we're going to hope to, hope to provide them that. Okay, Ray, you are, you are, you're a star. I love, I love <laughs> you challenge yourself. I want to ask you something about your relationship with, with your wife. By the way, uh, mm-hmm. we, we, we should be uh, a little bit more personal. What's your wife's name? Laura. Laura in English, but Laura in Spanish. Laura? Okay. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask about your relationship with Laura because you've been going through growing a business and making it successful. And you did it more than once, more than actually you did it a few times and uh, uh, even had to go through a lot of personal hardship in parallel. What makes you feel supported as the entrepreneur that, you know, understand the business part 
and have to you have to make decisions every single day like hundreds of them sometimes so what makes you feel supported in your relationship with lauda we have the same dreams in the long term and one of the things I alluded to when we were starting, right? Her skill set and my skill set are very, very different. So when we started off, we actually became, we were very clear about this part is yours, this part is mine. You know, nothing across the sexes, I'm a guy, you're a woman thing. It's, you know, it was just what she knew how to do and what I knew how to do were very different. And while she wanted to launch a school, like the financial side was never her dream, right? She just loves the teaching. And I'm the one who's like, okay, we need to have a seven-figure business so we can do this and we want to be able to retire she supports me in helping me reach that. I mean, you know, it's amazing when you kind of finish your day. We have our own offices in the house, right? We don't actually, one of the things we did do is we don't sit in the same actual room when we're working, even though she's literally, you know, <laughs> we share a wall, right? When we're working together. But she makes sure I have everything I need in order to not worry about that. She takes care of the house stuff. Um, we're lucky to be in Mexico. So it's not that she does the cleaning, but we have people who do the cleaning and all the rest. And we have a cook and she handles all of that because she realizes, one, this is her culture, this is her skill set. So it's a lot easier for her to deal with another Mexican than it is. I speak Spanish, but I'm American. I'm really direct, apparently. And that's kind of rude here in this culture. So she does a lot of that. And she lets me vent at the end of the workday. And while business isn't her end of things, she's been doing it now for 12 years. She knows what I'm talking about, right? I mean, you know, she knows what an ROI is, which not everybody who's in business would. So I'm able to talk to her about things. One of the cool things that I've realized, because again, we, are, we can argue and she'll, if I have a really dumb idea, she'll tell me. I mean, it's not like she'll say, oh, that's a great idea, dear. Um, and let me go and do something. She's like, it's, what about this? What about that? So if I ever give her an idea and she's like, oh, that does sound like a good idea. I actually know that actually is probably a good idea because, you know, so we have that kind of relationship and support that if I tell it to her and she's like, oh yeah, I like that idea. Nine out of 10 times, those have been the best ideas I've had. And I can pass it through her. If she says, have you thought about this, 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 and this? Because we just look at the world in very different ways. And I'm like, no, I hadn't really. I'd say, I'd say one out of three times my ideas work. Those ideas work. And two out of three times they don't. So statistically, it's a lot less likely to work if she doesn't like the idea. You know what, what is right, man. You listen to your wife and you appreciate her opinion and you've seen it work. So that's, that's just wonderful. And uh, you, you know... Feeling supported by being able to vent at the end of the day and to, you know, to run some ideas through her, that, that's something that also makes her feel you know, seen and respected and, and, and uh, probably something that, that she appreciates. Is there something you do you know, for Lauda to make her feel supported? I probably have a lot more work to do in this area than she does. She's about, I, I'll give her full credit. She's probably much better at supporting than I am. Um, yeah, I'm working on it. One of the things that I have actually been practicing and working on is, and this might be a male, the way males versus females thing, think, um, and correct me entirely if I'm wrong, because I, other than reading a few books on psychology, I know nothing about these things. But my reflex when she first came to me with, her, with issues was to try to fix them. Yeah, that doesn't work. Um, you know, that's not really what they're looking for. They're looking for somebody to listen. Uh, that took me a long time to figure out. So generally what I do right now, I'm working on asking questions and letting her speak. And that seems to be, at least for, for my wife and in my experience, what they're looking for, as opposed to us guys, when we talk to other guys, I'm like, okay, yeah, the solution would be ABC. Try these three. Let's build a funnel. Let's do that. That's not what they're looking for when they come to it. 
so that at least what I, the way I'm trying to support my wife is just by being here to listen to whatever she wants to talk about. Yeah, you know, I hear a few good things about your relationship. First of all is the trust. You guys have really deep trust. And another uh, strength is that you let her influence you. One of the attributes of strong marriages is when the husband lets himself be influenced by the wife and be changed. It sounds like you really do that. And also what you just mentioned, learning how to listen, not fixing, yeah. just being there for her as a friend and listening. I'm working on it. I mean, it's still, it's easy to fall back in the old habits, right? right like, Why don't you right. just do this? That's not what they want to hear. Um, it's, yeah. That's never been the right answer, at least in my experience, is telling yeah. her what to do. That's never, ever worked. So. Beautiful. But, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, how do you manage a work-life balance? What do you think about that? How do you... Well, here, here's an interesting thing. I actually think that's a misnomer. Uh, the whole work-life balance thing is, is, especially if you're working with your wife, I think it's a misnomer for anybody anywhere. But just if you're working with your significant other, it's worse because there is no difference between our work and our life and our life and our work. And the way I mean it, it's not that our life is our work in the sense that we just work all day, every day, right? But we're building a life. To- I mean, you know, there is no separation like that. But the clear the way you make it work is what you were talking about is this clear communication, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we don't let work arguments necessarily affect our personal relationship. If I disagree about like a hire, that's me disagreeing about a hire. It doesn't mean I'm disrespecting you as my wife. And if she disagrees with me about, you know, what we're doing, you know, the crib, we're going to buy our son. That doesn't, I'm not going to take it out on her on our next business meeting. I mean, they're, they're just totally separate things, but we are together all we're building a life together. We're not building a work and, we're not building a life and building a business kind of as separate things. It's all part of our life. But, but are you able to disconnect from work? Yes. Um, one of the things that we do is we kind of, um, we set times. For example, weekends, we don't work. So Saturdays and Sundays are not for working. Uh, we don't necessarily work. I don't work after, she doesn't work after five. I don't work after six, right? That doesn't mean we can, if we have to talk about things, sometimes an idea occurs to us later in the day, you know, like at nine o'clock. We rarely do ideas at nine o'clock, but you know, if it does occur to us at nine o'clock at night, we can talk about it. That's, we're not going to actually go and execute it at that hour, but we can actually talk about these things. But so the separation we do do is we have these like hours, but they're kind of flexible too. I guess the flexibility leans on the side of life on the personal side, because we will, you know, middle, half day, I'll take a half day on a Thursday and we'll go out and just walk in the park. We'll never take a half day on a Saturday and work unless there's some real, you know, we're launching a new product maybe. But that's much rarer. That's like once every five years while taking a half day to do some personal stuff. That happens every month, every few mm. weeks. So it's not work-life balance. It's more like work-life integration. That's it. Integration and definition. I mean, you need to, if you're, you and your spouse are working towards the same goal in life, and part of reaching that goal is financial goals, which involve your business. There is no separation. We're walking the same path. It's not like two different paths that at some point are going to meet in the future for us. It's we're walking the same path. There are different components in there and we're just walking it together. So we haven't actually made this huge sep- you know, effort to separate our work and our life. Um, we just consider both part of our life. Um, you know, Like having a child is not a, se- a third wheel on our life now, right? It's just part of our life. Beautiful. Thank you. Is there any business that you run without your wife? Yes. I, I run a number of businesses without my wife as well. As I mentioned, education is her passion. So we launched the school together, uh, which ended up being three different schools around Mexico. We sold those back in 2012, I think. And then we run the online language school. My other businesses aren't ne- are not related to education. 
Um, for example, right now I'm launching a business uh, called Podcast Hawk, which is going to be a SaaS product, a software as a service product, which will help people get booked on podcasts on autopilot pretty much, right? So you search a database, you hit send, and it'll send out X number of emails every day to find guest opportunities for you. She's not interested in that. Um, you know, this is not her area. So I'm able to do that. Luckily, we've built our businesses up to a point where she's much more involved in the day-to-day operations of Live Lingua because it's her passion. Because she chooses to be, not because she has to be, she chooses to be. She's a little out now because with a seven-month-old, she wants to have more time, but we haven't pulled her out so much that she's going to be totally separated once our son gets a little older. Laura's going to kind of go back in and take, you know, put her hand on the reins a little bit more. My passion, on the other hand, is building the businesses. Um, taking them from that zero to the seven-figure mark is my passion. At that point, I either hire staff to run them or um, sell them. And generally speaking, especially now that I've come up to about four or five businesses I'm running right now, I don't start new businesses without partners. I just don't have the bandwidth to be doing everything myself anymore. So yes, the short answer is I, have, I run multiple other businesses. And hopefully, my, my goal is to get at least three seven-figure businesses going at the same time uh, with different income streams. And the whole logic behind it is I live a very simple life. I drive a Hyundai. I mean, you know, it's not like I, you know, I have any fancy car. We have a small house, three bedroom, you know, two bed. I mean, it's, it's the, our expenses are a fraction of what most people in the United States spend every month. I would love to be at the point where two of my businesses could go bankrupt and I'd still be fine. I mean, you know, what an amazing place that is to be in your life that you're just like, okay, my biggest stress still is money. I still, what I worry about the most is money. We're luckily we're healthy and all the rest of it. So if I can get to a point where that's just not a worry anymore, and all I can do is build businesses for fun, which because to me it is fun, uh, that would be a wonderful place for uh, for me to be at. And uh, how do you communicate that to Lauda? How, that was, the, what does the three businesses? Yeah. She knows it's my dream and she supports me. It's not necessarily hers. Like... She's told me once, I don't worry about money because I know you do. And so I don't worry about it. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, that's not really high on her list. Again, we're both very thrifty. I mean, it's not, it would be a lot harder, I guess, if she was just spending money every day and that was trying to make it and all the rest that could cause conflict. It's not. Other than travel, we don't splurge on anything. And she supports me in it. But it's, I'll, I know that's, her, that's not her. Having, you know, having three seven-figure businesses are definitely not her dream. She loves to teach. She's got a business that allows her to do that. She'll be totally happy. If we do it, if we sold it, we'd probably launch another business together in the education field just because so she would have something to do. I, I want to ask uh, one more question about uh, the idea of, of veto power. So the idea is that within your relationship, there are certain things, especially with your business running it together, certain things where you have like natural veto power, for example, on a business decision or on a marketing decision, and likewise on the education with her. But uh, do, you, do you come up to a situation where you need to use your veto power and say, no, this is my territory, I'm making this decision, I'm not accepting your, your suggestion? Yes, and that goes back to what we talked about. It's, we don't argue that much about it anymore, but again, we've been running businesses together now for 12 years, so we've been doing this for quite a while. It goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, the clear definition of responsibilities. Literally, we wrote them out. Um, not so formal as that we sat down and signed a contract, but we wrote out, this is what you do. This is what I do. It luckily transferred pretty directly from our brick and mortar schools to our online schools. So we didn't have to repeat the exercise with the online school. And it, there was, I would say, virtually no gray area in there. There's almost no overlap in what we we're going to do. And that kind of kept us from even arguing about stuff because I admit, I don't know anything about teaching. 
through osmosis, I picked up a few things. I could fake it, you know, for a few minutes, unless the other person really knew what they were talking about. I could fake it because I've been around teachers now for 12 years, but I don't really know it. My wife could fake talking about marketing and funnels and business and all the rest of it that she's been doing it, but it's not her passion. And, you know, it's, she doesn't read books on it every single day like I do. So we trust each other in making the decisions in our area. So I would, I don't even try to make an education decision. She doesn't usually get that involved in marketing decisions because it's, she's just like, no, that's Ray's area. So I think that's the way we've kind of cleared that up. So veto power, I mean, there's, I can't think of a time in the last two or three years we've really needed something that big in our relationship. And, and, the, and the responsibilities are clear also regarding the house and family decisions? Yeah, <laughs> I would say, I'm going to say yes. She would probably say no. I think there was a recent study that came out due to COVID, right? Um, where the husbands are at home and they ask the husbands, do you help at home? And I think 50% said yes, 50% said no. They asked the wives, does your husband work at help at home? And the wives said like 95% said no and only 5% said yes or something like that. So uh, this, I would get myself in a little deep waters if I went out there. I would say she probably takes care of a lot more of the stuff at home. Even in the work side, she works probably about four hours a day and I work 10. So it, it doesn't really cause a huge conflict for us because that's our balance, right? And he's like, I work a little more because you work a little less. And as a result, you take care of the stuff at the house. And, but the way we've been able to avoid larger conflicts is because when we first got married, our biggest argument was about washing dishes, which is probably not a very uncommon thing to have an argument about. But I wash dishes to pay my way through college. So I have no problem washing dishes, but I'm kind of like, give me a big pile of 10,000 plates and I'll take care of it. You know, but if there's one dirty dish, I'm like, I'm not going to bother wasting my time washing that. Wait till there's enough dishes there. She got bothered by the one dish. So she would keep on washing this like one plate every night. We were able to avoid a lot of arguments by living in Mexico and being able to hire help. So we have a lady that cleans the house and washes our dishes, uh, you know, and does the laundry. So we don't really have to argue about those kind of things. We have a cook between Monday through Friday, even though she loves to cook. It's, there's no argument who's making dinner tonight. We have somebody who makes dinner tonight. And arguing with uh, who takes care of our son, that's actually not a... The argument's usually on the flip side because I'm like, I want to spend more time with him and she wants to spend more time with him. And so it's not like who's, who has to take care of our son. Uh, we've worked so hard to have a kid that we're like saying, I, you know, I want to do it, but that's not really a big argument. We both play with them at the same time. It's not a big deal. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm so happy for you, man. This is really <laughs> an inspiring uh, story and, you know, raising your kid, uh, working from home uh, with, with both you and uh, your partner being, feel, feeling fulfilled uh, and having the opportunity to vent and uh, just wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And uh, if anyone wants to learn more about you, Ray Blakeney, uh, what should they do? I really need to do better, a better job at this and like put up a website or something. Because the thing is, I don't, I'm not a brand. I build businesses, right? So there's like, there's no website you go to to find out about Ray. I don't have this Twitter following because I put really intellectually high thoughts on there every single day. No, I don't have any of those things. The easiest way is I'm old school. You can find me on Facebook, Ray Blakeney. Look for the one of a photo of a guy sword fighting, kendo Japanese fencing. So uh, you'll find that, that that's me. Please feel free to contact me there. Otherwise you can contact me through my two primary projects right now, which is livelingua.com. So you just go there, hit the contact us page. It'll get to the customer support. They'll pass it to me. Or you can go to podcasthawk.com and contact through the customer support page there. That will actually come directly to me since we only have one staff member there other than me. And I get a copy of all the emails right now. So Sweet. And uh, we'll put links for that, guys, on the generousmarriage.com website on the show notes of today, where you could also find a very interesting download uh, that is related to uh, you know, wo- work-life balance and productivity and stuff that Ray understands so much about uh, 
after you know years of of running multiple businesses at the same time and growing his family and uh, maintaining a very healthy relationship so thank you so much ray for sharing not just your ideas here but also later on uh, in the show notes uh, and uh, shaha any any last uh, insight just uh, thank you ray i love I love you and I love your relationship and how how vulnerable you are sharing it with, with us and our uh, audience and I love how you guys are great at supporting each other's dreams I think that's another strength of your relationship so thank Thanks, you guys yeah it's been a pleasure this has been quite a unique interview I've, I've done a few and this is nothing quite like this <laughs> thank you and thank you guys for listening for the generous marriage podcast see you next week bye 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 bye